All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, so this morning is going to be a little different. We're, we're not looking at a main passage. Rather, we're looking at an idea. Uh, we're, we're looking at a concept this morning. Um, so before we begin, since we don't really have a main Bible verse to read to start it off, I, I'd just like to begin with prayer, if you would join me in that. Lord, we thank you that you are the name above all names. I mean, for all of the worship that occurred place this week, across all the belief systems, we thank you that no one gathered to worship a God like you. We thank you that you are holy, 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 and that you alone are Lord, and that we have the opportunity to gather and offer ourselves in worship. And so, Father... Let us be burdened by your holiness. Your word says that we are to be holy as you are holy. So let us be emboldened by it and encouraged by it, but let us be burdened by pursuing that holiness. And as we look at your word now, as, as we look at this idea that I've been praying about for over a year, talking with James, talking with the elders about, just let this be a time that's pleasing to you. We don't want this to be about us. We don't want this to be from us. We don't want this to be for us. This is only possible through you and through your spirit, through the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. So, Father, may we come before you right now entirely submitted to you. May these words be yours. May they be heard with ears opened by you. May our hearts be united in seeking your face. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I know a lot of people, right, if you've, if you've grown up in the church, uh, or if, even if you've been in the church maybe, you know, just three or four years, I know as someone who grew up in the church, one of the things that I was very used to was Vision Sunday, right? Sometime within January, there was Vision Sunday. And the pastor, the church presented, here is, here's the theme for the year. Here's the buzzword we're going to focus on for the year. Here's the idea we're going to focus on for the year. And I have no problem with that. Let me be, let me be very clear. I have nothing against that type of approach to the year with an annual Vision Sunday. I also realize this is my, I'm now through the first quarter of year two, and we didn't do a Vision Sunday last year. We didn't kick this year off with a Vision Sunday. Uh, and I know people have kind of wondered. I've had conversations where people are like, uh, so is there no vision for the church? And like, no, no, calm down. Um, but there's a reason for that. It's because I'm not going to preach what I just want to preach. I'm going to preach what I'm praying about and where I feel God is leading me. And quite frankly, for the last Oh, I can't do math now. One year and one quarter, whatever. 16, there we go. Hey, for the last 16 months, I have not felt any sort of burden for, hey, here's the one theme. Here's like, you know, the one, like this year you're going to focus on this project or something. I just, I just haven't felt that. I haven't felt led in that direction. Where I have been feeling led, where I have been feeling burdened, what has occupied my heart, what has occupied my prayers, my thoughts, my reading, my studying, is rather the idea of culture. Instead of looking at, here's our theme for a year, here's our vision for this year specifically, I've been feeling burdened by what kind of culture are we building here? What kind of culture are we going to create here? Because I believe culture is far more important than a vision for a year. And there may be some years where, where we have a vision for that specific year. But really, the burden on my heart since accepting this position in December of 2019 has been, okay, well, what kind of culture is Community Bible Church going to have? 
And so I want to start. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at where I feel like God has been leading me over the last 16 months that I then brought to the elders and we've been talking through and praying about. And I want to start by making sure we understand why I feel culture is so essential. Culture, to most simply define it, culture is shared beliefs, values, and goals. And so we have the shared belief, right? We're operating already from a shared belief. Jesus is Lord. We're called to be the church. We have the shared belief. So then when you consider culture, and make no mistake, if you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, if you're joining us online and you don't believe in Jesus, we want you to be here. Just because you may not have that shared belief already doesn't mean that there's not a place for you here. We very much want you to be here. But for most of the body, for the, the body of Community Bible Church, we're operating from that shared belief of Jesus is Lord, and we are called to proclaim him as Lord. So then the question in my mind, I've told you before, I process through questions, so then I start questioning, okay, well then what are our shared values? And what are our shared goals? And what are we going to be pursuing? Because the thing about culture is it stays with us even if we are not physically in it, right? I mean, I've seen, goodness, half a dozen different signs. Like, you can take the girl out of the South, but you can't take the South out of the girl. You can take the boy out of the city. You know what I mean? Like, right? If someone grew up and spent the first 20 years of their life in Alabama and then moves up to Maine, guess what? They're still going to use words like y'all. One of my friends is from Indianapolis. He just moved from Indianapolis down to Virginia. He is not a Southerner. He's in the Southern part of Virginia. And I was, I was checking base with him a couple weeks ago. I was like, okay, how's it been going? He's like, I can't get over how much they use the word y'all. It feels so weird to me, like I just can't bring myself, but it identifies him as not from that culture. Because his language, his culture stayed with him even when he was not physically in it. And that's the other thing about culture is it endures beyond individuals, right? If, so my buddy, Indianapolis, he speaks like a, a Midwesterner, he's got the culture perspective of a Midwesterner. When he left Indianapolis, it did just not cease to exist. Like they're like, oh, we don't have an identity now. You know, we, we stopped talking about the Indy 500. We stopped talking about drinking milk. Like, no, Indianapolis culture still exists even though clay was removed from it. That's the other thing about culture. Culture is larger than any one individual. Culture is noticeable to people who are not from it and not part of it. There's a reason we use the term culture shock. There's a reason that culture shock is a very real thing because if you are not from a culture and all of a sudden you encounter something that is radically different from you, it's like a splash of cold water to the face where you're like, whoa, this isn't what I'm used to. There is something noticeably different about this group of people with their shared beliefs, values, and goals. And so the question that I've been asking then is, does our church culture, does the culture of Community Bible Church shock people? If people come and visit Community Bible Church, are they shocked by what they encounter in our doors? Even if they grew up in church, right? They grew up in church, they live out of state, they're just visiting family and they come to our Sunday morning. So they're used to church culture, but are they shocked by what they encounter here in Community Bible Church? If someone comes and visits us who didn't grow up in church, are they shocked by the culture of Community Bible Church? Culture's noticeable. This is why it's a burden on my heart. Culture also permeates everything. If I say bubbler, if I say, oh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go use the bubbler, what am I talking about? Who, who said drinking fountain? Yeah, Mark knows, and some we got another one over here, right? There are parts of this country, these weirdos that call a drinking fountain a bubbler. I don't know why, it doesn't make bubbles, but in their culture, it's a bubbler. Because culture affects language. Culture affects behavior. Culture affects everything. 
And culture can't be faked. When I say it permeates everything, what I mean is it eventually comes to light. I had the opportunity one year to work for a Fortune 500 company for part of the year. And on the surface, when I was interviewing with them, when I was going through the process, one of their taglines, they had a couple different taglines, but one of their taglines was a family business. Right? We're a Fortune 500 company, but we operate like a family business. And they stress work-life balance. We believe in the families of our employees. We want to provide, like, we, we understand that you have a personal life separate from this corporate identity, and we want to invest in that. So their words, their presentation was, family matters to us. And in my time there, it became very readily apparent that family did not matter to them. Because there was regular conversation and pressure to miss, well, it's just 4th of July, like, come on in anyway. And there was, well, you're not, you're not taking your laptop home with you to continue to do work? I mean, you already came in, right, like 9 to 5, right? No, this was, it was, it was 9 to 5, but if you weren't at your desk by 8.15, you know, your manager, like, hey, running a little late this morning? And it ended at 5, but... Oh, five and you're out the door. What, family emergency? What, your laptop's still on your desk. And I listened to the conversation about people who had been there for years and decades, and I listened to them lament how they had missed recitals, and they had missed family get-togethers, and they had missed family dinners because there was such a pressure to be at the office. So this company tried to tell you that their culture cared about family, but because culture permeates everything, it became apparent that that was not the real culture of this place. And finally, the reason I feel so burdened by culture, instead of just a vision that I present, this is my vision, this is my opinion. The reason I feel more burdened by a corporate culture is because culture is driven by the majority. Third, what's the, what's the greatest college sports team? I'm asking you, what's the greatest college sports team? Michigan. Would more people agree with Thurber or would more people vote to kick him out of the church? See, people are ready to kick them out of the church. We got a couple Michigan fans. But so we have, okay, so we have Michigan fans. We have, we've got a couple Michigan fans spread throughout, right? But we have far more OSU fans. So you could not fairly say that this is a culture of Michigan fandom. See, culture change, culture shift, it might be able to start with a minority. Culture shift might be able to start with one or two people, but it cannot be sustained by a minority. Culture shift cannot be carried out and carried through to longevity by a small percentage of the population. In order for a place to have a defined culture that endures, it requires the majority. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Because as we've considered this definition of culture, as I considered this then, I told you my mind started, so we've got the shared beliefs, so what are our values, what are our goals? And I started asking questions of myself. I began with myself, okay, well, how are we reaching the lost? If you have someone who knows nothing about Jesus, and on this end of the spectrum, you have a fully mature, as fully as we can get in this life, you have somebody who knows nothing about Jesus, on this end, you have a mature disciple of Christ, what are we doing to move them on that spectrum? I have a question written on my whiteboard, are our people growing? How do we track this? How do we measure this? How can, I mean, if our goal, right, Mark 16, 15, go and proclaim the gospel, Matthew 18, or Matthew 28, rather, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, make disciples. If our task from Jesus is to make disciples, well, are we seeing our people actually increasing in their discipleship? What are we doing to reach those who don't know Jesus? What are our goals for our people? What are we doing to help them get there? What's our goal for, for the body of Community Bible Church? What are we doing to make this a reality? I started processing through questions. 
And I filled the whiteboards. I don't know if you can see the detail. I filled the whiteboard in the conference room four or five times. The whiteboard in my office, we've got sticky notes hung on the wall where you've got color coding. I mean, if you can see the details, there's, okay, here's an idea about discipleship. Okay, when there's arrows, right? All right, so this idea requires this. But before we can get there, we need to get here. So we've been processing through, okay, what are our goals for our people? What are we doing to reach the lost? What do we want our shared values and beliefs? Oh, that's a good thing. Yeah, okay, prayer, deeper prayer life. Okay, what will deeper prayer life require? Okay, a more, a more motivated and a more driven and a more mobilized evangelistic passion within our people. What will that require? So we've been having these conversations, and I started bringing the elders into it. This is where I feel burdened, guys. Let's talk through this. What will this require of us? What is the definition of this? And at the end of all of this, at the end of the last year, 16 months, we finally come to this Sunday where we feel ready to bring to you what we feel like this all has distilled down to. And I'm guessing a lot of you know where I'm going with this because James and I coordinated our outfits. But what it all distills down to, and hear me on this, this is, I, I, will, I will fight for this with every breath. We as your leadership, we as the spiritual authority, the pastors and the elders, we are convicted that we need a culture of relentless pursuit. And both of those words are very deliberate. When I talk about, I mean, you saw how many, I filled the whiteboard in the conference room on four separate times, erased it, distilled it down, filled it again. And it, we, we boiled it down to two words, two deliberate words that I want to look at this morning. And then I want to look at the idea of relentless pursuit. So first you have relentless. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You also have Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Scripture is abundantly clear that this life as a disciple of Christ will require us to be relentless. It's Galatians 6, 9, Hebrews 12, 1. You look at that. Let us not grow weary. Let us not grow tired. Let us not grow exhausted. Let us not give up. Let us be relentless in our pursuit of good. For in due season we will reap there is a time for everything. Ecclesiastes is abundantly clear. There is a time for everything. And then Galatians explains, if we do not give up. One of the things that is still stuck with me, if you remember months ago, we had Don Schaefer who works in Japan, who serves in Japan as a missionary, come and speak to us. And he shared about a wife whose husband finally came to Christ after 20, it was either 25 or 29 25 years of praying for her husband to come to Christ, and he finally did. And this woman said, I didn't think God would answer my prayer so quickly. That is relentless. Scripture calls us to be relentless. But you cannot be relentless without something to be relentless in pursuit of. You need the pursuit part. Jeremiah 29, 13 you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you pursue me. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. And if you, if you write down, I want you to write down all four of these verses. But if you write down just one, if you study just one, if you memorize just one, listen to Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already made it my own 
or not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When you run a marathon, you don't just, okay, we'll just go run in circles or just, you know, just kind of run, start here. And okay, so these, you know, these seven of us, we all do a marathon, right? And I'm going to start on this street and Sarah's going to start on this street and Sydney's going to start on this street. And then I'm going to finish on this street and Sarah's going to finish on, no, you start at the same place and you finish at the same place. There is a goal line. There is, there is an objective. There is something that the runner is pursuing. And for us, it's Jesus. It's the upward call of Jesus. It's ahead of us. It's not behind us. It's not growing complacent. It's not saying, well, I'm good enough. I've reached, I've reached my plateau. No, the Christian life, what I am firmly convicted of, and the culture that we are striving and will aim to create here and foster here is one of relentless pursuit where we forget what lies behind and we strain forward to what lies ahead, where we lay aside what ensnares us and what entangles us and we run with endurance. And there are some things that this means. I, wanna, I don't want people to get confused, okay? Relentless pursuit does not mean we expect everyone to be at the same place. I, I'm, not, I'm not, the elders and I, we're not magically saying that every one of us need to be at the same level of maturity like that, and if you're not, you're failing. No, we, we know people are going to be at different places. But what relentless pursuit does mean is that we will not grow complacent where we are. Well, we looked at a runner, right? A marathon runner with a start line and a finish line. There are two ways you get to the finish line in this life. You breathe your last breath or Jesus comes back. That's when you stop. I don't care if you're 99, you are going to be in relentless pursuit. I don't care if you're six, you're going to be in relentless pursuit. That is the culture we are aiming for. There's no, I've arrived, I put in my, you know, like, look, I put in my 30, 40, 50, 60 years. I'm too young, I don't have the experience, I'm too busy with kids. I mean, goodness, if, you, if, if I went through and I asked every one of you for your age, I could come up with an excuse why every single one of you is justified. And, you know, I'm going to take a step back, I'm going I'm to sit on the sidelines for a little bit. Right, when you're too young, you don't have the experience, so just calm down, hang back, and it'll be your time one day. Well, and then you start having kids, and now you're young and you're tired, right? And then your kids are a little bit older, but now they're involved in school, and they're so busy, and our family's so busy. Then they're a little bit older, and they're in high school, and they're even busier. Now they're out of high school, they're in college, and we're empty nesters again, and we're rediscovering our marriage and investing in that. And then all of a sudden, they're getting married, and well, now we're trying to be good grandparents, and now I'm close to retirement, let me focus on that. Now I'm retired, let me enjoy that. Well, now I'm, you know, 90, and I'm too old and tired. And your whole life went by, and all you did was make excuses. So relentless pursuit, we do not expect everyone to be in the same place, but we expect every single one of you to be in pursuit of Jesus and of growing. We will not tolerate complacency. We're not going to kick you out. I'm not going to stop talking to you. But if I talk to you and I say something like, hey, where are you reading in Scripture? And you're like, oh, well, you know, I feel like I know the Bible well. And I'm going to say, no, that's not acceptable. Where are you reading in Scripture? If we have a prayer service, and there's a reason, right? If you've noticed my language over the last year and four months, over the last 16 months, I don't say things like, you know, hey, you're invited to a prayer service. 
I did this past week. I wanted to start with an invitation. But I regularly say things like, I expect you to be at prayer services. When we gather to pray, I expect you to be there. When we serve, I expect you to be there. We sent out, we've now sent out two notices. I'm going to be very real right now. We've sent out now two notices back to back, and I realize it's still early, so it's not, this isn't too much of an issue yet. But for the last two weeks, we've told you, hey, the elders meet at 945 to pray for the service. We want you there. I use that deliberate language. We want you there at 945 to pray with the elders. We have had two people show up who are not staff or elders. I expect that number to change. Uh, I'm just, I'm putting it out there right now. I expect culture of relentless pursuit, that number better change because that's our standard. Relentless pursuit does not also mean we expect everyone to grow at the same pace. We don't expect everyone to move at the same pace. We don't ever expect everyone to grow in the same leaps and bounds as someone else. But we do understand that while growth may slow, it never stops. And this goes back to the finish line is one of two things. Jesus comes back or I breathe my last breath. And until one of those two things happens, I am aiming for growth in my personal life and walk with Jesus. So growth may slow. Sure, when you've got three toddlers, growth may slow. Your life is going to take a turn. But your growth, does that's not an excuse for your growth to stop. When you're 85, when you're 90, yeah, you might be more physically exhausted. And your growth may slow, but that's not an excuse for it to stop. So we understand that everyone won't move at the same pace, but we expect that all of you will be growing. And will not just be growing, but will be pursuing that growth, that there will be personal ownership of that growth and seeking that discipleship and seeking what lies ahead. Relentless pursuit also, we're under no illusions. I'm not saying that your life is never going to have ups and downs. When you look individually now, I'm not saying, right, I'm not saying that Mike is never going to have periods where things are great and then things are tough, right? We're not expecting that your life is going to be a great cakewalk that just looks like this on the graph. There might be ups and downs. But relentless pursuit means that we understand that growth is not accidental. You can't just sit back and hang out and expect things to grow. Laura, you garden. You're a great gardener. I'm trying to get better at it. Am I correct in thinking that I just throw the seed in the ground and then walk away? Like I just drop it on the ground and do nothing? No, that's not how I garden. Why? Because that's not how things grow. So we understand that your individual life, we're not expecting your life to never have ups and downs. I'm not saying that. We understand that your life might have peaks and valleys. But what I'm saying is we expect and we are striving to create a culture that understands growth is not accidental. We are not called to a life of apathy where we just sit back and kind of passively wait for something to change. We will be relentless in our pursuit of moving forward, of straining ahead to the goal. So what will this require? We sang about it in that last song before the message. Home. I'm going home. One of my favorite lines about death comes from Billy Graham. This was well before he died, but Billy Graham said, friends, one day you will wake up and read the headline that Billy Graham has died. Do not believe them, for at that moment I will be more alive than ever before. Relentless pursuit will require an eternal perspective. 
Hebrews 12.2, we looked at Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12.1, let us be relentlessly in our pursuit of Jesus. Hebrews 12.2, the very next verse. How? It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12.2, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. How? Why? Because we are looking forward to Jesus. Our perspective is not on this life. Our perspective is not on, I'm busy at work, I'm tired at work. Our perspective is, okay, that's a reality of this life, but my eyes are set on Jesus. So I will be relentless in my pursuit of him because my perspective is eternal. Philippians 3.15, we read Philippians 3.12-14. Relentless pursuit. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, I will be in relentless pursuit. Philippians 3, 15, how, why? Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Philippians 3, 12 and 13, be relentless in your pursuit. Why? Because you are spiritually mature in your way of thinking because you have your eyes on heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, listen to this, that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's eternal perspective. This life is not my own. These breaths that I am taking are not my own. I died. My flesh died. I was raised to life in Jesus, a newness of heart. The life I live is not my own. Therefore, I set my eyes on the things of God. I set my eyes on the eternal kingdom. My perspective is heavenly. That is what is going to be required for us to practically apply lives of relentless pursuit. So the question that we have been asking ourselves as leaders is, do we have an eternal perspective on our ministry? Do we have an eternal, everything we do, is there a purpose? We don't do things. One of the phrases that I, uh, no, hate's not too strong of a word. I hate this phrase. Well, that's how we've always done it. That's got to be the most worthless reason to do it. Well, we've always done it. If we did things the way we've always done them, I'd be wearing like, you know, an animal skin and we wouldn't have electricity and you would have gotten here by walking and you probably would have left three or four days ago if you weren't eaten by an animal along the way. <laughs> like, oh, we've always done it that way. Okay, great. Well, do you enjoy modern plumbing? Well, then it's a good thing that we didn't settle for. That's how we've always done them. Guys, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take us asking this question, do we have an eternal perspective? Do I have an eternal perspective where I realize that this life is temporary and it is not my own? 
Last week, we looked at the idea that God assembled the church. What did we conclude with? God assembled the church, picking each member as he chose. If your perspective is not eternal, you're going to discount that verse and say, no, I'm, I'm kind of here because my you know, grandparents went here. And I'm not really here for a reason. I'm just here to exist. I'm not here to serve. I'm not here to fellowship. They don't need me. I'm just, I'm just here to show up and consume. That's not an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective is, okay, God assembled this body. The Holy Spirit put this body together. What is the reason that I have been placed in this body of believers? What is my position to serve? What is my position to encourage? That's an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective is absolutely essential to a life of relentless pursuit. That's what we've been asking ourselves. Do we have an eternal perspective as a leadership? And now we're bringing it to you, and we are expecting you to have an eternal perspective, and we're expecting it to begin with us. You can ask the elders. I say this, right? Like, if I have high standards for you, you should see the standards I have for the elders. The verses I send them, the texts, the quotes I send them, where I'm trying to regularly remind them that, no, you and your position as an elder, I expect to be able to point to our elders and say, hey, imitate them, because they're imitating Jesus. And I expect, and I use this word deliberately, I expect that I will be able to point to non-believers, say non-believers, look at the people in our church because they are imitating Jesus. You want to see Jesus? Look at the people in our church because they are in relentless pursuit of Christ. And so as we continue to consider this idea of relentless pursuit, I want to, I want to deal with some questions, some pushback, right? Relentless pursuit, it's independent from other people's reactions. Because when I talk about relentless pursuit, what are we going to be in relentless pursuit of? The answer is everything holy. We're going to be in relentless pursuit of Jesus. It begins with that. But we expect that this culture will be in relentless pursuit of fellowship. Right? The foyer. You've seen the foyer transform over the last two to three weeks. Why? Because everything is given to a relentless pursuit of the goal of the ministry. One of the questions that we wrote on the ministry is, is fellowship really happening in our church? Is fellowship really happening? Are people really getting to know one another within the body better? So then we start asking questions. Okay, if we're going to be in relentless pursuit of increased fellowship, well, yeah, it's going to require people, but relentless pursuit considers everything. All right, well, then let's look at our physical space. Let's look at our physical, literal building. Is our physical building fostering a relentless pursuit of fellowship? Or can we do this better? And so we created a space where deliberate conversation can happen, where there's places to sit, and to relax with one another and have a conversation with one another. There's places where you can put your drink, your Bible, so that you're not just, right, if I invite you over to my house, you don't walk into my home and I have no furniture out and we just stand there in the middle of the living room. I mean, you could still have a conversation that way, but the more excellent way is to give you somewhere comfortable to sit and to give you somewhere to put your purse and to give you somewhere to put your wallet and your keys so that you can have conversation without being distracted by other things. So we, we, everything we do is deliberate. We transform that space so that it can foster fellowship. Well, yeah, but Sam, that's, that happens here in the seats. All right, let's be honest. How many of you are sitting in the same seat you've sat in since Adam and Eve were created? <laughs> we come to the same place, we sit in the same place, and we're surrounded by people who do the same thing. So if I'm relying on my seat to foster fellowship, that means I might know two or three people around me really, really well, but the person in this corner has no idea who the person in that corner is. 
So we created a space where fellowship could be deliberately pursued. As we look at our Bible studies, as we look at what we're doing, it's relentless in pursuit. And when I say it's independent of others' reactions, and I say I expect that of you, what I mean is I don't care. I mean, I do because I want them to be relentless in pursuit. But if you come to me and you say, well, yeah, I've asked 10 people to go to lunch after the Sunday service, and they've all said no, so I'm going to stop doing it. I'm going to say, no, that's not relentless pursuit. I don't care if the first 10 people say no to lunch. I don't care if the first 10 people say no to dinner. If the first 10 people say no to going on a hike with you, ask the 11th, ask the 12th, ask the 13th until someone says yes. Relentless pursuit is independent of other people's reactions. I don't care if your family doesn't get that you don't want to watch Netflix anymore because you just want to pursue biblical literacy and read scripture. And they're like, well, that's weird. Let's go watch four hours of Netflix. You're like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to read that. I don't care if they don't get it. I expect you to be relentless in your pursuit regardless of how other people respond to it. I worked at a, before serving here, I was in a private practice, a medical practice for five years. I asked the same three people to come to church. I mean, almost on a weekly basis. And they never once said yes. And so I just kept asking. And I still send them texts like, hey, you should come visit me at church some Sunday. Because it's not about their response. I, I don't care about their response. You can't control their response. I expect you to be relentless in your pursuit of evangelism, of fellowship, of biblical literacy, of prayer. It's engaged, it's intentional, and this goes back to it won't happen accidentally. If you say, I want to be more relentless in my pursuit of biblical literacy, cool. Talk to me about your Bible reading. Well, yeah, I mean, you open the Bible on Sunday mornings. And you just expect that you're going to, what, like on Tuesday and Wednesday, get the osmosis of me reading the Bible? No, relentless pursuit is engaged and intentional. It might require a change in our behavior. If you feel convicted, yeah, you know what, I need to more relentlessly pursue biblical literacy, discipleship, and fellowship. All right, have you ever showed up to one of our women's Bible studies? Have you ever showed We've got a men's Bible study starting on April 6th. Men, I expect every single one of you to be there. I expect us to pack that room out. And I'm going to be honest, if you come to me and you say, well, nobody's connecting with me, I don't feel like I'm knowing the Bible any better, and I say, okay, well, why weren't you at Bible study? Well, I'm used to being at home on weeknights. That's not a legitimate excuse. That's not relentless pursuit. It requires intentional engagement. It's inclusive regarding of education. It's inclusive regarding, or regardless of income, age, gender, relationship status. There's not a single person in this room who could say, well, because of this demographic, relentless pursuit doesn't apply to me. Relentless pursuit is for everybody under the age of 97. Nope. Jesus or your last breath. That's the finish line. Well, relentless pursuit is for married people. Nope. It's for people without kids. Nope. It's for people with kids. Nope. You can't come up with a description of yourself that excuses you from a life that does not grow weary in doing good. You cannot come up with a definition of yourself that excuses you from running the race with endurance. You cannot come up with a description of yourself that excuses you from forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead. There are no caveats in Philippians 3. He doesn't say forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead except for people who just had this. That doesn't exist. The standard is relentless pursuit. And so finally, as we consider this, I want to be honest. It's not going to be easy. It won't be. 
changing your behavior, if you're used to staying in every weeknight and every weekend, it's going to require a different perspective and a shock to you to come out on a weeknight or to give up a Saturday. If we have a men's retreat, we have a women's retreat coming up. You might never have gone on a women's retreat in your life. And so to change that behavior and engage in a women's retreat and open yourself up to that might be very different and new for you and uncomfortable. I don't expect relentless pursuit to be easy. But I feel entirely convicted that this is our biblical standard. Like I said, this is why I've taken, you know, 16 months to present this to you guys. And this is where I inescapably arrive. Galatians, Hebrews, Jeremiah, Philippians. I believe that my life is to be given in relentless pursuit of Jesus Christ our Lord and his bride, the church, and the mission work that he has laid out for us. That won't be easy. But if it is the biblical standard, then we cannot settle for less. We can't. I mean, if this is, the, if this is truly the biblical standard, and we, we settle for less what's wrong with us? Really? I, I told you that everything is deliberate, that everything we do is deliberate. I might seem like a goofball half the time, but I promise you, like, half of my brain is working. And I do things deliberately. The challenges that I give you at the end of every message are deliberate. Some weeks the challenges are there to get you to, to deliberately, goes back to relentless pursuit, is intentional and engaged. Some week the challenge is to deliberately engage with the unbelieving world around you. Some weeks the challenge is to deliberately engage with the body of Christ. Because I believe in the body of Christ. I believe in the church as Jesus ordained and set out in Scripture. And some weeks the challenge is to deliberately engage with yourself and examine your own relationship with God. I'm going to ask a tough question. I don't expect you to put your hands up. Don't put your hands up. I'm not trying to shame anyone. Several months ago, I mean, we're talking four or five months ago, I said, I dare you or I challenge you to get together with someone in this church who is 20 years removed from your age bracket. How many of you have? And I said, someone new. So if you're in a small group and someone's 20 years old, that doesn't count. I said, four or five months ago, I challenged you. I said, deliberately get together, plan a get together, whether it's hiking or a meal or just hanging out, like deliberately get together with someone 20 years removed from you who you don't normally hang out with. How many of you did that? A few, a few weeks ago, more recently, we laid out that evangelism is a mandate for every believer. I said, pray for open doors and proclaim Jesus to one person. And we shared beautiful testimonies of what God did when we prayed for open doors. Ask yourself honestly, did you, did you actually pray for open doors? Did you actually proclaim the gospel to someone? Did you look? I said, look for these conversation opportunities. And if they don't exist, create them. Did you actually do that? Even just last week, right, looking at the body of Christ... We looked at how God says everyone was given to one another. He assembled the body. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage and build one another up. And I gave you a simple challenge. Reach out to someone else from this church who you don't normally talk to and just encourage them. How many of you did that? 
How many of you in this last week picked up the phone and called someone? Or even better, what I laid out, how many of you actually wrote out a note and mailed someone a letter that said, hey, I appreciate this about you? It's not easy. Our minds don't naturally gravitate towards taking time out. I know, you all have busy schedules. I, I, I really, I'm not saying that lightly. I get it. I know you do. So it won't be easy to say, I need to intentionally carve out time to write a letter and mail it to someone in this church. That's not easy, but there's reward in that. It's not easy to pray for open doors because what if God opens a door? If I pray for open doors with my coworkers and all of a sudden someone comes up to me and says, hey, my cousin just died, I'm struggling with this depression, what's the point of life? That's not easy. I get that relentless pursuit is not easy, but I don't see an excuse to settle for anything less. So I expect this to become the culture of this church. I expect it to start with me. I expect it to start with the elders, but I expect that this body will be in relentless pursuit of Jesus, of the church, of fulfilling the mission that he gave us. This is going to be our culture. I, I mean, this is, this is going to be our culture. This is what I expect. This is what the elders expect. This is what we're presenting to you. Now it's up to you what you do with it. The worship team is going to come forward and we're going to sing, It is well with my soul. That Hebrew word for soul, nefesh, the Hebrew word for soul means your, your passions, your appetite, the thing you crave, the thing you desire. So when it talks about soul in the Bible, it's talking about your passion, the thing that you desire. So as we sing this song, you're going to hear words like, though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. The, by the song will also talk about that regardless of the ups and downs of life, whatever the situation, it is well with my soul. This song is about relentless pursuit. The song is saying that regardless of the circumstances in life, my desire, my passion, my craving for the Lord and His holiness is not affected. So as we sing this, if you need to repent, as we consider the challenge for this week, Hebrews 12 and Philippians 3, 12 through 14, read these passages, learn these passages, and identify, ask God, what do I need to be in relentless pursuit of? Ask him to convict you. Ask him to lead you. And then I challenge you to find someone to hold you accountable. I need to be relentless in my pursuit of biblical literacy, of reading scripture. Find someone who will check in with you daily, weekly. Hey, how you doing? What are you reading? My prayer life needs to be deeper. Find someone who will check in with you. And so as we sing it as well with my soul, those prayer points up there, maybe you need to repent. Maybe there needs to be a time of, Lord, forgive me for growing complacent. Forgive me for giving up. Forgive me for growing exhausted and bailing on this. Lord, convict me. So if you need a time of prayer, stay in your seat, come forward, whatever you're comfortable with. But let this be a time of conviction as we listen to words that remind us that our soul must be in relentless pursuit of the eternal kingdom of God.